that's the tallest building in town. The library, because it has the most stores. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we do the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. Well, the librarian was my dad. I'm Sergeant Brenda Dallin. I work at the Sun Prairie Police Department, and I've been with the police department for 25 years. I brought with me one of my co-workers today. I'm Jeremy Rademacher. I also work at the police department, and I've been there for approximately 12 years. What's your first memory of going to a library? Going to a library in general as a child in Rio, Wisconsin. However, going to Sun Prairie Library, I started working at the police department in 1992. And back then, the library was located at the corner of Bird Street and Windsor in what is now the Family Video Store. So the new library, to be honest, I'm not even sure which year it was built. However, sometime within the last 25 years, probably closer to that 25-year-ago mark, and I just remember it being very exciting for the community. It was huge in comparison to the old library, and it had you know, tons of new features and a lot of space for people to come and congregate and sort of became more of a community hub versus just a library to pick out a book. So a lot of changes and all of them for the better. My first memories of going to a library were also as a young child. Uh, We would take walking field trips from our elementary school. Uh, So you would see us walking down the street like a row of ducklings following the teacher and We'd go to the library and we would all check out Hot Rod Magazine because we wanted to, uh, we wanted to look at the cool cars. Um, for the Sun Prairie Library, I imagine I brought my kids here um, when uh, when we first moved to town in '06. Um, but my first real memory of anything at the Sun Prairie Library was doing the Book in It run in 2008, I believe. So that might have cut off pretty short because it did. It literally did. Yeah, well, what happened there? So what happened is um, these gracious police officers were willing to come in and talk to me, and um, they were on call, and they had to run out of the library, <laughs> and, um, and literally. That's really great. And um, uh, they couldn't come back yet, but I just liked it, so we kept it. Yeah. No, it sounded good. It's it's nice to get uh, to hear from people who are in the middle of their work day. They really they were. take the time out to talk to you for a little while. Yeah. But they got to do their thing. They had to do their thing, and I respect that. Yeah. It was really nice of them to stop in. Hey, Shauna. Hey, Steve. <laughs> How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm, pre- I'm pretty good. Yeah. I did not expect to have such an expansive episode out of Maker's Faces because I think it's hard to focus on something this large, on something that has been in libraries for such a long time. (laughs) 
which is my favorite part of this episode. Yeah. Is getting that background information that a lot of people don't know about, that this is an idea that is is large and it's old. (laughs) But it's brand new. (laughs) But it's not, but it is. Right. I, I'm really glad yeah, you got to talk to some people who, who are artists who worked um, in the, at the Madison Library at the Bubbler. And yeah. I was really excited to hear that because I, I love that space and I love what they do with um, bringing artists in. It's really different than the people that I talked to uh, who and, and a lot of the stories I had to cut. Mm-hmm. because of time some really great stories about people who you know come in and they learn how to use a 3d printer and then apply for a job and get a job at a factory or something and they can put that on their resume like i used a 3d printer at the library that's amazing so i know how to do that technology that's amazing yeah so it's, it's very different than than you know sort of art right um K- katie and andrew are doing such amazing work when it comes to utilizing a space like the library um, in Madison. So they are bringing so many different people together that you just wouldn't expect. And we do that in libraries all the time, but to do it in this way, it's so incredibly unique. So getting to hear this story was so much fun. I was able to visit the Fond du Lac Public Library in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, at the foot of Lake Winnebago, and I visited them on an evening their new makerspace was open, uh, the Idea Studio. The Idea Studio is takes up almost the whole basement of their library. I was really excited to be there that night. I got to talk to Shannon Barniscus, who is a PhD candidate at, in Milwaukee and a longtime librarian. She was there as well, so I was able to get her thoughts on makerspaces too. I'm Shannon Barniscus, PhD candidate and adjunct instructor at UW-Milwaukee, and my dissertation research is in makerspaces in public libraries. And 2010 is the first real published discussion of makerspaces in libraries, where a couple different places, one was in Make Magazine, which is um, a standard periodical about the maker movement. they had an online forum discussing this. And then there was also a librarian who was discussing it. And those are the first published mentions. And then in 2011, uh, the first library to call it a makerspace and to then get national recognition as a makerspace was the Fayetteville Free Library in New York. Libraries have always had makerspaces. Let's they just haven't called them that. I was Some of the ask earliest libraries had um, community pianos. And anyone was allowed to come and play that piano. And that is meeting the definition of anyone's definition of makerspaces, but certainly my definition, which is, you know, it's a a social space in which people gather together to create things, often using shared tools. And that community piano back in the 1800s, that was a makerspace. And really, libraries have always had this. But every time we've had, you know, knitting or quilting groups or computer um, hobbyist groups, we've cultivated a makerspace-like environment in libraries. I'm Josh Coles. I'm the Library Technology Coordinator at the Fond du Lac Public Library and also coordinate the Idea Studio. We wanted a community creative space and we wanted it to be whatever the community thought they wanted. So we got together an advisory council 
of farmers, um, you know, local technology people, um, teachers, professors, artists, representatives from community institutions like the the um, technical college. Because we wanted all these voices around the table as we were trying to decide what we could really do and what we should do. A lot of libraries are doing something like a makerspace, but it's highly unusual to have such a broad spectrum of things all sort of in one place. We've got the recording studio, we've got the kitchen, you know, we've got the main space with all the arts and various things that happen in that, um, classes, and then we have the shop, and that's where we keep the laser cutter and the carvey. Back inside the idea studio, an older gentleman named Ray was working uh, on a machine called the Carvey. Do you use this machine a lot? Are you in here quite a bit? Uh, yeah. Yeah? I was in here five hours yesterday, and I have five hours booked. <laughs> I did a, an inlay. I made a bread cutting board, and then did an inlay, so I cut the top out, and I cut the other wood on there, and uh, inlay it, and that came out neat. Okay. So, I worked on on computer equipment. That was what my career was. Okay. So computers and this type of thing and printers and whatever, that was familiar, but not this aspect of it. Okay. And that and the 3D printer. That's all new to me. So okay. Okay. It's all a hobby for me. So okay. Was, and how yeah. do you do you enjoy I mean, you, uh, you, you, oh, you must yeah. enjoy coming in and doing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. It's, uh, it's really neat to have that capability. A couple of my favorites, um, we have a, a regular user who had a piece of his fridge break, and you couldn't even order the part. There was no way to get it. So he scanned the shape of the part and brought it into Tinkercad, which is a free online 3D design package. Um, and then he added dimension to this two-dimensional outline of the part that he had brought in um, to, to create the parts where the plastic is raised and create a hole where it should be, um, and printed it and fixed his fridge door, <laughs> you know, which is awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's the kind of stuff I love to see. Um, we've had kids working here in the studio, like teenagers. A lot of hip-hop gets made in here, but also um, we've got people bringing in, you know, guitars and other instruments. We had somebody record narration for a walking tour. Um, Serious woodworkers come in and make really good use of our laser cutter and carvey, so um, making some really nice, like, walnut cutting boards. I'm just as happy when, um, you know, a kid comes in and builds something cool with Legos or figures out how to make a circuit do something that we haven't seen before with the little bits. We had our official opening on July 23rd in 2016. I couldn't really tell you numbers without looking at our you know, spreadsheet, and I try not to focus too much on that because I like to focus more on what people are getting out of it and you know what the dynamic is in here. You know, I like to see 
a variety of people doing a variety of different things in the space, and we see some really neat connections between people that are, um, you know, an artist versus an engineer, but they have, you know, ideas to you as a 3D printer or whatever. Mm. Um, I love to see that kind of thing. I love to see intergenerational connections. You know, you'll have um, the gentleman right now that's using the Carby. Uh, you know, he'll be in here quite a bit, and and then you'll have um, teenagers that are using the 3D printers, but they're checking in with him about how he's using the Carby. And it's just, it's really good to see these connections yeah. popping up. The thing that I found that was, was what my original idea was, like, this is the disconnect, is all the um, professional literature was talking about these maker spaces as if it were about the tools. And yet all of the people I was, I was speaking to were saying, no, it's about the other people. Mm-hmm. And the, the joy of co-creating or um, just working in, another, working in a room with other people who are also working individually. It doesn't even have to be collaboration. There's just this social making that was really powerful for people. Um, and over and over, that has been absolutely the case. I've, I've met hardly anyone who said, oh, it's about the tools. I love coming here for the tools. But some people have. Sure. But most people have said, no, it's about, it's about the sharing and the, and the collaborating and so forth. So it's definitely social spaces. A library assistant, Michaela, uh, showed me a few more of the things in the Idea Studio. Depending on the kind of equipment, like for the 3D printers, we usually have trainings twice a month. Okay. And you go to the library's website, go to the calendar, and you click a link and sign up for it. Um, You have to have a library card. I get you a menu. But, like, you can actually get the library card afterwards. Oh, are you going to get him a menu? Yeah. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. And so that has all of our equipment on it, whether you need training or not, which piece of equipment you need a different training. Okay. Um, most of them are an hour to an hour and a half. Um, a one-time training, mm. free training, and then you can come in one more up and you can use it. What sort of buy-in from communities have you seen? I mean, are, do people have to convince their communities that these are things libraries should have? You know, if they're doing it wrong, yeah. Um, that's what will have to happen. Um, and and um, unfortunately, most librarians and libraries, that is how they, that is the, it's a top-down thing. And they have to go and, like, do outreach to say, this is a wonderful thing we're doing, and, the, and the, sometimes the community is resistant. Usually not so much. Usually people are really intrigued. Um, a better way to do it is the, is the bottom-up, in which you you know, find your makers in your community, find out what they need, and develop that. Hmm. And then you don't have any problem with buy-in because you've met exactly the need that has been identified by the people you're serving. So my makerspace experience was more focused on that one place and the different things they have available for people to do there. Yours was very different. Yeah, it was. And this was an actual artist-in-residency program that exists at Madison Public Library um, at the Bubbler. And so I spoke with Andrew and Katie. Unfortunately, I didn't get to speak with Megan that they mention um, in our interview, Megan Marsh McClone. And collectively, they brought, though, even more people in that we'll mention in the notes because 
It was a very expansive project that really took over the space. The Dream Collectors is actually based on a group of artists from 1924. So they actually called themselves this, um, they're surrealists. And they did want to create archive of the community's unconscious minds. Hmm. And so Katie and Andrew and Megan took this idea from the 20s and brought it to life uh, in the space at the bubbler. And it, it was a really unique experience that really took over the whole library. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Hello, I'm Katie Shag. I'm Andrew Salyer. Yeah, so we have a collaborative art-making team called Salyer and Shag. When it's written out, it's Salyer plus Shag with the plus sign. But we don't say Salyer plus Shag, we say Salyer and Shag. Um, and we make social practice projects, uh, collaborative performances, site-specific theatrical events, we don't make a lot of material objects, but we do sometimes use installation and sculptural elements in some of our performances. We've also made some videos and photos, but our main practice is performance, and so it's usually pretty ephemeral. How were you introduced to a makerspace in a library? I think when I was first introduced to the idea of the makerspace here in Madison, I thought of it as doing things like screen printing and beer brewing and kind of sort of like skill sharing. So I guess like my reference point for it might have been stuff like anarchist free schools and like skill sharing workshops where people would just teach people in sort of like a decentralized manner. But I think I definitely do imagine it as a sort of material and craft based sort of hands on kind of useful skills. And so one of the things we talked about with our workshop, because we do more performance, we're not really making something that you can like, you know, take, take it home with you in a sort of material way. Um, so we're kind of interested in maybe like the possibilities for making things that are more intangible, like making relationships and stuff like that. The first time I heard anything that reminds me of what a makerspace might be, it was related to something with like early hacking groups or um, internet specific sort of things like the movie Hackers or something from way back when and people getting together into a large space and collaborating on things. Um, but it was for some reason, for me, linked to something digital or something online. Can you describe the experience that you did have at the Bubbler, at the makerspace at the library there? What we did at the Bubbler was Katie and I and our other collaborator, Megan Marsh McClone, had the space for the month to do um, a project we called the Dream Collectors, which we created a website for and a Facebook presence. And it was to work with people on the idea of surrealist notions of, of, of dreams and, and how that might be an interesting topic to play with in a community and sort of what are collective dreams, what are individual dreams, how do those two things interact with one another. Um, and so we thought it would be a great place to explore that together as a Madison community. Yeah, so Megan approached us about the project, and we first did it as a project for what's called the New Arts Venture Challenge at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So we collaborated with Megan at her invitation um, on this project for that program, and then when we um, won an award for that, 
we needed a space to actually do it. And so then I think Megan started talking about it with Trent or one of us did um, Trent Miller at the Bubbler. Um, and it just seemed like it would make sense to do the project there. And so we were really excited about the opportunity. And so Megan did most of kind of the installation of the room and kind of the day-to-day, sort of the, the bulk of the project. And our main role was to do the Surrealist Games Workshop and also to help with the opening night event that also kind of involved this relational activity at one of the nightlight events. And then for like on a day-to-day basis, Megan would meet with people one-on-one and they would write down their dreams and put them in this giant cloud that we commissioned, this huge sort of puffy cloud. That people then could walk by and put their dreams in as a sort of dream bank. And it made a little, it made a little sparkly sound. It made it motion activated. When you would drop your dream in, it would make this sound. (laughs) And it was so this huge dream collector representation was then in the makerspace in the bubbler for the duration of the residency. And so once in a while, when it would fill up to a certain amount, we would take the dreams out of it and then place them throughout the space so that these dreams could be shared then with not just the collaborators that are running this, doing the residency, but also with the community in general. So we also worked with the library to um, bring books about dreams into the space so that when people would come into it to look at all the clouds that they had made uh, throughout the space, they could also look through dream books, sort of experience it as a, a, a spatial element, but also a sort of literary, philosophical element as well. What did it feel like to be doing this, these projects in a library? It felt really fun and we like doing events that are, you know, public and can kind of gather like multiple intersecting communities. And so already, like in a lot of the programming work we were doing at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, we already were trying to do things in public spaces off campus. And so in many ways, it was such a perfect fit and we were really excited to do it. We liked that it was free, that it was super accessible, that there were, you know, all levels, um, all ages to engage with. Yeah, it was really fun. And the workshop that we did was just a really great time. We did this workshop called Surrealist Games, and we did a lot of like chance operations based writing games and drawing exercises, exquisite corpse. So a lot of like very classic surrealist exercises, but then we also did instructions and performances and laughing games where everyone laughs forever. What are surrealist classic games? So the most the most classic one probably that most people know is the exquisite corpse drawing game. And so in that one you divide the paper into thirds um, and each person starts a drawing in the first third. You pass it to the left or right and without looking at the other part you draw the second part and so on. And so the idea is that you have this kind of collective unconscious that is manifesting a creative project together. And we like this because it takes away the sense of like ego and ownership and also the pressure that comes from creating your own project like in this process you kind of just give over um you know the agency or autonomy in some sense and then you kind of see what you've made together um and that's the basic model for all of the games so then there are writing games and it's things like you write q at the top pass it and someone writes a so like q and a games or if then games so sort of like logical propositions so it's all sort of collaborative chance-based exercises and then you read them out loud and most of it is pretty absurd but some of them sometimes you have like surprising synchronicities so it's interesting to think of like are the people in the room kind of like tapped into some kind of similar thread or you'll hear certain words or phrases kind of echoing 
um, as we kind of create this like shared vocabulary. So it's a fun kind of collaborative experiment. And then so through that though, um, especially with the more text-based exercises, we can then move into a second stage of that and do some performance-based things within that makerspace based on those text prompts. Um, so then activating the body in a way um, that's not just sitting around a table drawing together or writing together, but then taking those things as prompts to move the body in certain ways or activate speech back and forth with one another that may be absurd, but may be interesting or funny or enlightening in some way. So yeah, it was, um, I think, kind of with the environment, with the bodies moving around in the space and with this intellectual and kinesthetic sort of um, experiment, uh, I think people really had a good time. Being an artist in resident and doing all of these amazing workshops, how would you describe to somebody what you were doing who has no idea what any of this is? I would say that we are part of a community of people who are activating a space to play and create in a space that already has the potential for all of those things, but kind of introducing even more kind of experimental processes and just chances to explore and collaborate and, and I guess in a, in a sort of a structured way, providing materials and activities for people to come together. One of the ways I guess I would describe it is to think about the way that we're disciplined to, to behave in certain ways, in certain spaces. And so what we were really hoping to do, I think, um, is challenge those ideas of what you should be doing in certain spaces. So expanding the idea, say, of um, what a library can do is also what people who visit libraries can do. And so the programming really helps with that but also the people that come to it with ideas, with creative sort of uh, little moments can bring some ideas uh, to it as well. So it's that community that's really doing it. So talking with Katie and Andrew was so inspiring for me. Yeah, that was great. It was inspiring to listen to. Yeah, because it's true that having a maker space, an actual space for it is so convenient, but it's true that you can just use spots in a library. Yeah. Um, so the maker space becomes like an idea instead of just a space. <laughs> I, I just like the, the DIY movements at large. And mm. so that's what maker spaces have been able to do. Yeah. And that, okay, you might not have a space, but you've got an idea. Let's do it. Let's try it. Libraries' missions evolve over time. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of what we're seeing now is, is you know, libraries really wanting to be that community space mm -hmm. and, and needing to be because they're the only space of, of that type in their community, mm -hmm. uh, which I think has happened here. Well, what we're doing actually with, with this um, show right now is potentially hope we could be showing an example to people of how they could be looking at the library yeah. itself. So Sunbury Public Library, consider the space and what is there and what could happen there, you know, and then talk to your local librarian about it. <laughs> I mean, that's really what's neat about it. Yeah. You know, we've got porch space, for example, which could be used. We have... We have outdoor space, of course, too. I mean, it doesn't yep. even have to be inside yeah, the library. Yeah, we've got tons of outdoor space. Yeah. We've got prairies, for we've goodness sake. We've got prairies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can look at the library as a space and then see it much differently when you're not just thinking about actually what lives inside of it. Yeah. But just as a, as a building. Yeah. 
I'm really looking forward to next month's episode about comics. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I as well. We're going to talk about our favorites. We're ta- yeah, we're going to talk about Make our favorites. Make recommendations. We're going to talk about yeah, or like warm, fuzzy feelings that, <laughs> yeah. you know, that you feel about something you think is amazing and have loved for a long time. Right. And highlighting the collection that we have. Of course. At our library. Yeah. So we have a Facebook page. It's at Tallest Building. You can comment on it. We'll be posting pictures from the makerspace that I visited, the Idea Studio in Fond du Lac. Yeah, and we'll definitely post some yeah, photos we'll post from some... the Dream Collectors and what they did at the Bubbler. Yeah, so make sure to look out for that and comment on projects, makerspace, DIY projects that you might want to see us do yeah. at our at our library. Because we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, see you next time. See ya. <laughs> the library. Because it has the most stories. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we did the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. Well, the librarian was my dad.